Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, this week we are going to be diving into a very serious topic and I feel like it's kind of a continuation on something we've done in the past. We really like to or we really enjoy discussing and bringing to light certain topics like how games can help with depression, uh, how they can help with inclusivity, uh, you know, with the idea of the social or uh, social xenophobia and things like that. And this is just another avenue in which games can be beneficial to to anybody, to everybody, uh, but more specifically towards uh, people who are suffering from autism. Now, autism is very difficult to deal with, and it is actually very difficult to diagnose in some of the individuals, specifically very difficult to diagnose in uh, girls. Uh, all the tests were developed for little boys in the beginning, so it's actually very difficult to figure out if a girl is autistic or not. And there are various different medical treatments out there to help, but nothing really, I guess uh, the wrong word is cure because it's not really like you're looking for a cure. It's just helping them uh, how helping them learn and how to cope with what's going on and understand the world around them better. And there are a lot of games out there that actually do help uh, people better understand their surroundings, how to interact in social situations, and even how to help out with uh, fine motor skills or cognitive thinking, uh, cooperation, communication, all those things. It's pretty amazing what games can do. And I know that a lot of people or media likes to, you know, put a, a dark light over games saying that they're just violent and that they actually cause more problems than they help. But uh, hopefully over the course of, I don't know, 90 episodes now, <laughs> just about, <laughs> we've helped, you know, skew the way that people think about games a little bit and look at them from a very different light, a more artistic light or beneficial or helpful light. Because that's what they are. I mean, they're there to help us with escapism, uh, to help us cope with every kind of social situation, regardless of what ails you, whether you are, no matter what it is, right? And uh, this is this is a pretty near and dear topic to me right now, specifically because of my new career path. And I've been able to work with a lot of youth lately. And I'm just seeing how great it is to see these kids interact in games and not just single player games by themselves, but actually getting them to work together in a community setting. And it's been amazing to see these kids blossom. And I, it, I have been surprised multiple times when parents have come up to me and let me know that their child is in fact autistic and they are just thanking us for providing their kids with a safe space to play because they are just playing like anybody else. You would never know, right? Like no one's bringing it to light like that. No one's putting it in front of us, but it's just been an amazing thing to uh, to witness, to experience, and to be a part of. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. And there's actually a group that I'll be talking about later that I am currently reaching out to to hopefully uh, join us in this uh, in our endeavor or our programming to uh, better help our community even more. But before we start diving into the games that we have this week that showcase and uh, can be beneficial in some way, what is your initial thought on this? I know we've talked a lot about it, like I mentioned, with like depression and stuff like that, but I, 
and we have touched on how games can be looked at negatively, but what do you think about games as a way to help with uh, mental disorders, not just things like depression? I mean, I think that games can be beneficial in any way, you know, like no matter what's going on, you know, depression, anxiety, anything that, you know, that might be too much or might be, it's weird to say it like this. It, it takes up space in your head, even though it doesn't really take space, but it, it adds this fictional, like 500 pound weight on your brain mm. kind of feeling yeah. like, I mean, for me, games really help, right? They're, they're a distraction, but I also learn from them. Stupidly enough, most games, I learn something from them at the end of the, the end of the session or at least at the end of the game and this is gonna sound weird but it's like if it helps me make it through the day like it works for me you know i think recently i haven't been playing as much as i used to like i would say for years it'd be kind of worrisome how many hours a day i would play a game <laughs> or games um, cause I was, when I was doing some research for this episode, they were like saying, oh, like the average play time for someone daily is like two and a half hours. And I'm like, that's average. Like <laughs> I'm usually busting like four or five hours. Like, well, you gotta give yourself some a day slack, off. I got 12 hours people who are playing zero hours in the day. Right. True. So that's getting averaged in as well. So you cut yourself a little bit of slack there. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, but to me, if it helps someone, that that that's what's important. You know, I think so many people are focused on the negativity, saying like, "Oh, they could get totally sucked into a game, and it's dangerous." And I mean, that's just with anything. You can't blame games for sucking someone in like that. You know, it could be the same thing with anything. Movies. It could be sports it could be anything it's just that people think gaming is unhealthy so they say oh if you're consumed by it then that's something wrong right like yeah. if you're consumed by sports people are like oh he's just athletic he's yeah. gonna be it's, in shape anyway so a, it doesn't matter it's not a socially well, acceptable addiction right yes yeah and it's i mean no one's freaking to me, when I think about gaming addiction, like I'm not downplaying it. Like I understand the the feelings of you know always wanting to play, but so many people treat it like oh they're going to steal their game for their addiction, or they're going to you know they're jonesing to play. And I'm like, as someone who's battled addiction, I don't see how it'd be really possible that someone would be pushing it that far. Like I think people really like demonize games in a way mm -hmm. by saying that because they're still even though like they are socially acceptable by most people a lot of people in the medical field well i think it's kind of divided from what i was reading still think that it's a negative even though it's been proven to help so many people in so many different ways you know granted not every game is beneficial to people but you know, you have your games or your board games or anything like that, that it, it helps people learn functions. Mm. You know, maybe people can't learn these motor skills or something in school or, 
you know, through their family, but they learn it through a game. And, you know, that's, that's what's important is to learn. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where you learn from. Yeah. Too true. Too true. All right. So I think we should dive into some games now. Um, and actually, why don't we start off with probably one of the biggest heavy hitters in this category, and that's going to be Minecraft. Minecraft is insanely popular across, I mean, any demographic that you ask. I'm sure anybody who's a gamer has played Minecraft for a certain amount of time. But this game can be incredibly beneficial uh, to, for kids with autism um, or any other uh maybe like fine motor skills and all those things right like it's super super beneficial in ways so it can help with like cooperation communication uh actually like self-control surprisingly and uh regulation of your own effect in the world right if you just keep mining out the same thing all the time there isn't going to be anything left or even if you go to the village and start taking everything from the village well, now, like, you can kind of see the effect that's going to happen there, which is really interesting. Um, also, with goal setting and flexibility, uh, as far as your cognitive abilities there, uh, it, it's just, there, there's all kinds of crazy things in Minecraft, which is super, super cool to play around in. And, you know, like, before my current position, I... I played Minecraft a little bit, but I never really got like far into it. But after playing with these kids and like creating this server for them, I realize how important Minecraft is and how fun it is. And I'm actually having a blast playing it on my own and building out these little projects for them. But the way that we structure our programs there, we're actually creating a very um, collaborative environment. And I think that's really beneficial for these kids because we're currently our programs are from ages six to 12 in Minecraft. So like we're we're starting kids at a very early age, not just uh, learning computer skills because we play on mouse and keyboard. So getting six year olds comfortable using a mouse and keyboard is actually pretty fascinating. And it's amazing how quick they, you know, they get it and it just clicks with them, which is really, really cool to see. But then also teaching them different collaboration and cooperation skills because a lot of the programs that we're setting up or a lot of the tasks that we're doing are either very goal oriented, orientated, or uh, team, or it's like a lot of team builds too. So we'll have like various things where it's like capture the flag or, you know, like, uh, like digging projects or little things like that. Or like uh, this whole last month, we worked together to build out an entire village from nothing. And that was actually really, really cool to see like, oh, one kid wants to be a farmer. And then whenever you hear a kid that's really hungry, like you can hear the farm, the kid who wants to be the farmer yelling out over chat like, hey, don't worry, I got you. I have fresh bread I just baked from the wheat farm or I have a bunch of beets. And, you know, like it, it was just really cool. And they're like, hey, come by the farm. I'll get you fed. And it's just like a really awesome like little moment where I didn't have to fly around and just rain pork chops on people, you know, like the kids actually were trying to help each other out. So that was really, really awesome to see. And it's just, I don't know, there's something about Minecraft and the, like the full sense of escapism, the full sense of control over your world in such a simplistic format is just very, very clever. And I'm appreciating, appreciating it more like every day that I use it and not just for as a game, but as a learning tool as well. It's been a lot of fun. And we definitely need to get into some Minecraft media, start up a server and all that fun stuff. Because that, oh, that yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> I've been itching to play. Oh, I guess speaking about gaming addictions, like I've been thinking about Minecraft on the low. Yeah. You know, like 
I'm playing all these other games. I'm doing research and stuff. I'm like, damn, Minecraft just sounds good. Like, it it really is one of those games you can always go back to. Mm-hmm. And it's always, it's there for you. You know, it's like a, it's like an old friend, you know? Yeah. Fun to talk to. You can get in trouble with it. But at the end of the day, it's got your back. That's a um, great way to put it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, God, I need to play it again. It's been so long. I like. I forgot. That was maybe like last year because I remember we were talking about it, and I started playing it, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." And then I just drifted off again. Yeah, it's weird. The, the new but, update has frogs now. It's pretty cool. Oh, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah. Ice Age, huh? Yeah, it's pretty neat. And Whoa. and actually, what's really cool too in our programs, we're going to start modded Minecraft too. So next or this coming month, or in by the time this episode comes out, it will have already happened the Friday before. But uh, we're doing uh, Sky Factory with the kids, so that's going to be really really nice. cool. Yeah. Oh, it's got actually Ice Age characters. I thought it was something like New Blizzard. Interesting. No, but I think they are expanding on the biomes, and the frogs are really interesting. Because they'll actually like eat things like with their tongues and stuff. It's pretty cool. Wow. Um, I want to ask you this question because you know it's always Minecraft, but what about Roblox? I am actually against Roblox. What? Yeah. Strangely enough, because you know I'm a big Boomer. advocate of Minecraft, but I just I. Well, okay. I'm against my, I think I'm biased because of the programming that we're doing and what, um, Mm. how I'm looking at games now of how they can be beneficial for kids and like what we can do to create something. Like we use the term meaningful play a lot where you're not just playing just to play. You're playing with a goal in mind. Right. And I, I think that is something that is really important. I was trying to figure out how to incorporate Roblox. But every time I went on there, it just there's always something that was like kind of inappropriate, right? Or like hidden messagey, whereas like really bad innuendos that were, you know, like fan made stuff. And I just couldn't get I couldn't allow our program to incorporate that and, you know, have the kids come in and see that stuff and then bring it back to their house. Mm. You know, like so I think that's why I'm a little biased towards Roblox. Um, I was actually going to use the game maker, the Roblox Studio, in one of our programs oh, to yeah. to you know use that because it, it's a pretty mm-hmm. cool little thing. Um, it, like it has a lot of pre made stuff. It's easy to build a world, but I just I couldn't get behind the Roblox thing, so gotta stay away. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different beast. I don't know. I I played it years ago. Um, and I, I, at first I was like, oh, they look more realistic than stupid Minecraft or not blocks, you know, but yeah, the, the things you'd come across in that game were a lot more, uh, well, there's like sex chatting and stuff like that. Like it's, it's really weird. Like nude characters now. Yeah. There's all kinds of little things like that where you're like, I just don't want the kid to click on the wrong thing, you know? That's a good point. That's kind of where I sit with it, but yeah, <laughs> a little tough. Well, all right. So I, another great game to actually play if you are trying to um, and not just like th- I, I love this game for quite a few reasons, but Super Mario Brothers, the 
uh, the U version, right? The Wii U version, where you, it's actually super uh, cooperative. Um, I, and we've actually been playing, so now we're playing, what is it? Super Mario Deluxe is what it's called now, right? Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I've actually been playing that with my partner because, like, that's a game that she can actually wrap her head around. She's not a big gamer. But I, one of the things that I actually really enjoyed about it was the bubble mode, right? So like the, the the whole point of this game is to cooperatively get through basic Mario levels, which isn't something new, but I like the spin on it for this title because it really feels like you are helping each other out along the way. Sometimes there's jumps that you can't get to yourself, so you have to jump off your partner's head, right? And like to get up there. So you're you're actually working together, cooperating and things like that. And then, uh, like, the bubble mode, I think, is super hilarious because a lot of times we end up using it now where if one of us is about to fall off the edge of the map or we can't make a jump, we just bubble so that the other person makes it and then you get dragged along the screen, <laughs> like, kind of screaming and saying, like, help, you know? But it, it it's, <laughs> it's a pretty funny, interesting experience there. But the way that Super Mario really benefits... Uh, children or just individuals with autism it can actually help out a lot with like uh basic motor skills and uh cooperation basically is the main avenues in which this game is beneficial and not to mention it's just fun and learning while Mm -hmm. like having fun while learning is the best way to retain information and being able to kind of like explore the world around you is really, really interesting. And being flexible, I think, is really important, too. And and learning that through something simplistic like Mario that is easy to grasp, I think, is really, really helpful. Because there's a million different ways that you can beat the level. Yes, you are just running from left to right, right? Like, it's just, it's basic Mario stuff. But they do put in some secret paths, right? Like you can get different power-ups and do things differently. Like there are different ways in which you can actually handle this. And I think it's really, really cool. It's just a fun game, honestly. I it's yeah, I've had a blast while playing it in one. That's actually one I I honestly have never touched. I should. I own it. But something that you were bringing up, I'm like, that sounds like most Nintendo games. Like when you think about it. I think majority of their games can be like pretty can fit into all those little nooks yeah. pretty well. Like, I mean, I know they're family friendly, but they all have something to kind of test your skills in like different ways. It's interesting. Yeah. It's simple. It, I guess it's, it's simple mechanics, <laughs> but used in complex ways. So it's easy to understand. And then, I don't know, like the right way to word it. It's it's very interesting because like everybody understands when you pick up a controller, you know how to move Mario without anyone telling you how to move Mario, right? Like you know mm-hmm. how to jump, you know the goal, you know what to do without anyone having to actually explain it to you, which I think is really, really interesting. And it's a great like little, I, I think that makes it even more beneficial because actually Mario Brothers is said to not just help with things like autism, but it's also to, said to help with dementia, too, which I thought was hmm. really interesting. There's an article that I was reading while I was in school because um, we did uh, our final project on uh, where we made a game. Or the final project for um, my degree path was to make a game with a group of people, right? And we ended Mm -hmm. up, we wanted to not just make a game, we wanted to interject some sort of theme to it. So we went down the avenue of bringing light to autism and, or not autism, uh, 
Alzheimer's and dementia, right? And it turns out that Mario Brothers, like the they tested it out in some retirement homes and they noticed that if a individual played Mario for like an hour or two a day, then dementia effects were slower, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. Um, but then they also did the same study with games like Brain Age and stuff like that. And they found the same results. So it turns out that like simple puzzle games or simple games where there's a goal in mind that you can understand and grasp uh, actually help uh, hinder the effects of dementia, which I thought was really, really cool. So how can it not benefit, you know, things like autism or motor skills or stuff like that, right? Like that just makes sense. So it's a very clever way of doing it. And you're right. Nintendo games are known notoriously for being family-friendly games. But I think that's why they are so beneficial in every way. Uh, Not just for bringing families together, but benefiting your own mind as well. It's really cool. All right, so straying away from some more of the, I guess I would say more like child-oriented games, right? More family-friendly stuff. There's gonna be we're gonna talk about Portal Two, actually. So Portal Two is a very, very popular game, amazingly popular, and it's a really fun game. And I wouldn't like immediately. I didn't immediately think about this game whenever I was looking at games that help with autism. And it just makes sense, right? It's a puzzle building, or yeah, it's a puzzle game. It's a platformer, so working on fine motor skills. You have to cooperate with somebody else in order to actually, uh, you know, uh, get through these things. Uh, it works not. Uh, it also works on your social skills too, because there's plenty of times in which you can mess up your buddy, right, just for a laugh. <laughs> but you have to be uh, very aware of what's going on and how to properly handle those social situations to work cooperatively with each other to uh, finish the tasks, which I think is really, really cool. Like Portal is a fantastic title on its own, but knowing the benefits that it can actually have it makes it even better in my mind. Did How is your experience with Portal? I loved yeah. it. I've played it multiple times. Yeah, it's great. It it is interesting because it really does kind of teach you how to work with someone probably a lot more than, you know, Mario. Like, it's definitely more in-depth. Like, as someone who has bad anxiety um, playing that game with... I played it with different people. You know, friends, people that... I just barely knew like it, it taught me to basically be comfortable with explaining things to people. Mm -hmm. Cause I felt like for the longest time I had this huge fear of having to explain things to people because I felt like when I would, I would get super descriptive. I would keep going on and on. And I'm like, I feel like the person's going to hate me for doing that. So like I always tried to, be frank with people and playing that game kind of, I don't want to say help develop those skills, but it definitely like, it made me more comfortable, you know? Cause it's like a lot of multiplayer games I played, it was always like four more people, right? It's always like a group, but when you're playing one-on-one with somebody, it's like you, you really learn something that you wouldn't even in those other games, mm-hmm. at least for me. 
you know, like, yeah, you got teamwork, but there's something about working together with someone, even if it's family, even if it's just someone random on the internet, like you, you're going to learn not just about them, but you're also going to learn about yourself and maybe some kind of skill set or something about you that you might be too afraid to think Mm -hmm. about. But by doing that, I think it really, I don't know, it really helps. You know, there's more games out there nowadays that kind of do the same thing where it's kind of like a puzzle one-on-one, you know, like it takes two, Mm -hmm. which is pretty good too. But I think with Portal, you can always go back to it because it's not just an experience. The puzzles in it really are unique. And to this day, I haven't really found anything that's kind of come close to it, even though people have tried. Um, I wish. I, I really wish it was a Portal 3. <laughs> like, it, it just, it'd be nice to be able to share that challenge with somebody. Yeah. That it, it, it makes you feel smart when you get those puzzles done. You know, it really, I think that game really did help me with future puzzle games because I used to be kind of crappy at them for the longest time. I think there's something really interesting about just a two-player puzzle game because, yeah, you've mentioned that there are some puzzle games out there where you're playing with multiple people, right? And you can just get kind of carried throughout each puzzle, right? You don't actually have to solve it. Mm -hmm. You just need one person who's really good at solving it. But with games like Portal, you actually have to work together to figure these things out. Right. You have to test things out. You have to try new things and just kind of play around with it. And I think Portal did a great job of introducing mechanics slowly to the player each level and creating like a really good build up to things so that you get uh, fully understand all the mechanics that are available to you. It's a very, very clever way. So super cool stuff. Uh, now, this last game that I want to talk about, uh, last video game at least, a uh, little hint for the future and stuff, uh, is actually a mobile game. And this one might surprise some people too. So this is Draw Something or Draw Something 2 or any of those kind of like Pictionary style games out there. Now, because it's a mobile game, you obviously use your touchscreen or sort of like a smaller screen. So that does actually help out with fine motor skills quite a bit. And not just for the fine motor skills too, right? So the whole point of Pictionary style games is to be able to properly convey a message or an idea to another individual, right? And like these Pictionary games really make it so that you have to fully understand what what you're thinking of and be able to properly display it for the person that you're playing with so that they can guess it correctly. So I think that's a really interesting and amazing skill to have, um, how to properly, you know, discuss how you're feeling right or what's going on how do you just uh properly convey a situation that's happening currently or whatever it may be like a a lot of people do have a hard time explaining what's in their mind so playing games like pictionary actually very beneficial to figure out how to properly convey a message which i think is really really cool and very simple i mean it's just like it's it's funny it's pictionary right 
a game that has been around mm -hmm. for so long. So how can it be beneficial in any way than just having fun? But it's actually very, very helpful, surprisingly. And I might have to play it some more because I need to figure out how to explain myself better. So <laughs> those games are always fun. I'm trying to think. There was a big one. Um, Drawful. That's a good one. I think that's the one. Um, yeah, those games are always great. You, you can't go wrong. And, and like you said, it it really makes you better at being descriptive, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah it's a fun little aspect there. All right. So I think the last thing that I want to bring up here that's just incredibly helpful and they have done a lot for the community um, is actually Dungeons and Dragons. So we're going to be switching over to tabletop gaming. Now, we have discussed tabletop gaming a little bit in the past, but we never really bring it up too much. We did play The Quiet Ear, which is technically a tabletop game, uh, but we did it in audio format for you guys. And if you want to listen to those episodes, they are available to you as well. So go out and check them out. They were a lot of fun to make. But tabletop games are very, very cool, and they're very, very helpful uh, when it comes to assisting individuals with autism because it's not just playing a game anymore. Games can be very uh, what's it secluded. It could be a very secluded experience, even if you're playing a multiplayer game, because nowadays you can play remotely with people, right? You don't actually have to be in the same room with, with somebody, even though there is some benefits to, you know, playing remotely with people too, learning how to properly co uh, collaborate over a virtual environment, which is becoming incredibly popular and more used nowadays in businesses. So that's a very important skill to have. But tabletop brings the cooperation to a whole new level because now you have to look the person in the face as you are playing with them. You have to properly convey a message person, like in person, which is very difficult to do for a lot of people, especially if you don't know that person very well, right? So mm -hmm. Dungeons & Dragons is fantastic for this because it is the perfect game to put you into so many different situations, social situations uh, that will help benefit you in the long run, no matter what is going on in your life. Right? I think D&D can be beneficial for anybody, really. Uh, and it allows you to just fully escape and become immersed in a and a new character, a different person, and start thinking outside of your own shoes for once, which I think is really, really cool. Like someone who is very, very like athletic and fit could play a, you know, a very scrawny, weak character. And they have to figure out how to play that character properly, which is really, really interesting or vice versa, right? Which I think a lot of us did in the beginning. You know, one of my first characters I ever made was a giant barbarian before I ever worked out a day in my life. Because <laughs> obviously I wanted to be <laughs> strong. But it, it, it allows us to play out our fantasies and it allows us to experience life from a different set of eyes, which is really, really exciting and just super different. And there's a, a group out there. They're actually a Seattle-based group um, and they are called uh, Games to Grow, I believe is the right. Oh, Game to Grow. Right. That's what they're they're called. And they started out with just doing tabletop games. Um, and it was just a small community effort, uh, nothing too crazy major and just really, really interesting stuff. Right. And they have expanded thanks to um, some Kickstarter stuff and things like that. 
But they have, uh, they've actually guested on quite a few podcasts. And this is where I first heard about this company and how they're using uh, Dungeons and Dragons to help out children with autism. And one of their uh, game masters uh, actually gave a very amazing uh, example as to how he uses the game or probably one of the most like memorable moments to him um, of how the game helped out a child. And this, I, I love this idea so much that I, if I ever get the chance to use it, I'm going to for sure. But there's uh, was a group of children and a lot of the kids were starting to kind of come out of their shell. They were, you know, becoming more vocal with their decisions, having a lot of fun playing the game. But there was one individual who was very quiet still, which is a very common thing, uh, especially in group situations. Uh, people with autism tend to get quiet because they don't know how to properly handle those situations, right? Uh, so what they do is they add in an NPC that is a ghost. And that ghost is only talking to the child that is quiet, who's not actually speaking up in the in the campaign itself. So that child now needs to convey the ghost's message to the rest of the party. Because remember, yes, the rest of the party can hear what the game master is saying, but if you're fully playing and uh, getting immersed in the situation, that ghost is only talking to that one individual at that time. So it was actually a really great way of getting that person to just start talking. Uh, they didn't have to be them really engaging in conversation, but just start getting comfortable talking in a group. And they noticed after a couple sessions of doing this, that child then became more vocal within the group, within the party, uh, started to help make decisions with the party, and a lot of amazing stuff. And I, I love that idea so much, and I definitely want to take that because <laughs> I thought it was so brilliant. But it's not hmm. just that um, aspect as far as the social situations go that can be beneficial for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, it's also simple things that we take for granted, like counting money. Uh, counting money in public is a very... Uh, anxiety-ridden ordeal for a lot of people, unfortunately. And it's something that we definitely take for granted if it's not something that you suffer with. And uh, being able to properly understand what something is worth and how to properly pay for things, how to interact in those kind of situations is pretty difficult for a lot of people. So uh, like actually practicing those real-world situations in a game like Dungeons & Dragons gives them the framework and the confidence level needed to do it in person, which I think is awesome. And I, I just, I love every bit of this and I really want to figure out how to incorporate it in my job just because yes, Dungeons and Dragons is a guilty pleasure of mine and I just want to play it, but it can also be super beneficial too. So I've actually told my boss that a couple of days ago that I'm going to find a way to weasel Dungeons and Dragons into the program uh, just because I want to play it, but don't worry, I'll make sure it helps the kids in some way. And he flat out just told me, go for it. It's your passion, so it's going to be good no matter what. So I was like, oh, I appreciate that. So that was cool. But yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. But yeah, it's 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 a super helpful thing. And I know that we've been talking and floating around the idea of playing a campaign our own. Uh, but, you know, obviously time is an issue for us. But the, the, it's I feel like it's always something that's in the back of my mind. I don't know about you, but I don't know how you feel about yeah. it. But yeah, it's it, it's really cool. I, I wish that we had more experience with it as well. Because it's just great. I think it'd be fun. I just, 
you know, I feel like my life's so busy that like, even with the baby coming up, I'm like, man, there's no way I'm going to find time for that. Like, I'm like it for me, it's always something that I've always kind of enjoyed, but I also hate how long it takes, especially once you get a can like once you get a campaign going, it's cool, you know, but I think it, yeah, sometimes I build leading up, up to the campaign oh, man. it's tough. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because I can see why people would say like D D would be beneficial for people. Because I mean, one, you're role playing as something else that's not you. You know, unless you're doing a campaign where it's more lifelike and you are where you can play as yourself, but that doesn't really happen often. You know, but if say you have a group of people who maybe have issues or problems in certain situations, you could make a lifelike campaign and be like, we're going to role play as ourselves or someone similar. Or if you want to get crazy role play as someone we'd want to be, you know, obviously like in a realistic setting and play those situations Mm. out as if it's like a campaign. And it's like, when you think about it, you could use D and D as an educational program to an extent, right? You role play through situations, you create challenges, you make it fun. Oddly enough, I feel like I don't really see that kind of when I look around and stuff, but I mean, I think it'd be, I think it'd be good. I mean, when I play role-playing games and there's a situation that's more lifelike, I feel like I learn something sometimes. And I'm like, dude, it'd be kind of cool, even though it sounds dumb because you play these kind of games to escape, it would be cool to play like a real life, like realism, like D&D where like you're playing out your life, but in a different way, kind of, or like mm-hmm. the same. You're just being able to role play situations you probably wouldn't get into. Yeah, that would be really cool, actually. Oh, um, I mean, I, I like the different side of it, but I can see why it would help people, and it's awesome that those kind of things exist. You know, like it's interesting how D and D has really evolved in the past few years. You know, not just yeah. the Stranger Things. I mean, it did help. It did help. Thanks, Stranger Things. But, you know, it, it it's becoming really did, more socially enough. acceptable, right? Like, it was so bashed for so long about being like, oh, it's for cults, it's for this, it's demonic stuff, you know? But D&D is not just that. Like, yeah, you can play a campaign that's all about that. That's fine. But D&D can be so much more than that. I mean, shoot, there's the Honey Heist campaign, which is a fantastic little one-shot, where you're literally playing as bears trying to steal honey. Like, that's not demonic that's not anything horrible right like it's just the way you use the tools that are given to you so it really just depends on how you you phrase it and what kind of campaign you're looking for and how it can you know not just help you like i feel like you can just like really learn and grow from a campaign uh, no matter what right like because you're you can go through some amazing like loss some amazing like just like saving the world to losing a loved one to uh, living out an entire life you know like it's it's pretty crazy how immersive some of these get and it, it's cool too i mean seeing so many podcasts now that have dungeons and dragons as their main component like it's really cool and i love listening to those stories in my opinion so i listen to too many of them honestly but 
<laughs> getting kind of hard to juggle all the stories in my mind going back and forth, but you know. Oh no. That's when you just merge all of them and create Yeah. I I, I really think merge. it's that time that we just need to do it, to be honest. Because that would just be fun. All right. So there's one more thing that I really wanted to touch on before we end today's episode. And we were lucky enough to actually reach out to one of the families that I've been working with at the Y currently, uh, where the child actually does have autism and ADHD. And they have found that gaming has definitely helped them out in a positive way. Uh, they've been working on various different therapies uh, since the age of, I believe, 14 months. Um, and just trying to find the best systems that would work for them. And one of the things I found really interesting that they mentioned was that uh, verbal reminders are probably the least helpful thing that they have found, whereas visual cues are much more beneficial in uh, their child's development. So it's it is really, really nice to hear that because I mean, that is what games are, right? That games are full of visual reminders and cues for the child to keep up with and uh, to pay attention to, which is really, really, really nice to hear. But the thing is too, also with moderation, right? So because of the ADHD, it is possible to kind of get lost in these games, which we touched on a little bit as well, in which that could be harmful, right? Uh, so finding ways to set up timers, uh, setting up specific yeah, like basically setting up a specific time in which the this activity is going to be done um, and then adding in that timer element does help them, you know, regulate these things. So they're not getting completely lost in this world, which is really good. But for one of the questions I did ask is basically how has gaming helped them? Um, and there's a couple of different categories in which that I wanted to kind of go over. And I'm going to I'm going to touch on what they had mentioned, which is really, really cool. I do really appreciate. Thank you again so much for, you know, answering these questions for us. So whenever I asked how games helped, uh, I asked how they helped socially, how they helped emotionally, and how they have, the, have they, <laughs> how have they helped cognitive, cognitively? So as far as the social aspect, uh, Basically, they have really helped out in different ways, which is really cool to hear, um, especially with our esports program that we have. Um, they are a part of our Smash Brothers uh, program, which has been a blast to play and hang out with these kids and show them. It, it's just been so much fun for me. And it was it felt, gosh, it was really like meaningful to hear that it meant so much to them as well where they are able to actually socialize uh and whether even though it's not in person they were still able to socialize and feel comfortable in that setting which i found even more meaningful since they didn't have that direct visual representation in front of them of the person right that they were just talking to a voice over the internet but i was able to have really great conversations with this individual which i thought was really fantastic um as far as the emotional level uh they obviously really do play or enjoy playing games on their own, uh, but finding a way to help them interact with others within their own social group has been incredibly beneficial for not just this individual, but the family as well, which has been awesome. And then finally, the cognitively, uh, how has it benefited cognitively? Um, <clears throat> they, 
what we've seen is that their creativity level definitely has increased. And not just that, there's been a really cool, like, kind of hidden gem thing here where their research skills have actually developed quite a bit because it's it's actually pretty funny because I never really think about it. It's just be, kind of become like second nature for certain games. But I just end up wanting to research what I'm doing. And it obviously I'm not the only person out there. Anyone who plays games wants to look into how the game works and how to better play the game. So they're actually able to you know, full, like further look into games like Minecraft and things like that, um, how to properly craft things, how to progress in the game itself and expand that area as well. So it's been really awesome to hear that stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously this parent did have some concerns when it came to gaming. Um, how are they able to connect uh, if they were to get frustrated or felt confused at any point because of the fact that it is, you know, it, it's a virtual program that we have in place. But luckily, we have found out that they were able to basically stay on track. Uh, they were able to, you know, properly and like uh, interact with other people, other peers of their level, and actually just have fun in the experience altogether. So it's been just a lot of fun. And I really want to say thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions. But not only that, thank you for being a part of this program. It's been a blessing for me. And I've had so much fun diving into it with your with the, these kids, uh, going on our little field trips, you know, just having fun with them and watching them grow and seeing those little like Eureka aha movements. Uh, it's just been a blast. Uh, I can't wait to, you know, keep these programs growing and seeing how much more help we can p potentially give to individuals out there uh, of any demographic for anyone. So, but yeah, so uh, there's a lot of different ways in which games, not just video games, but tabletop games as well, can be incredibly beneficial to any individual that does have autism. Uh, it's, it helps with cognitive abilities, it helps with cooperation, it helps you gain social skills, and it helps with the fine motor skills as well. And it's just fun to do, right? It, it's just a fun thing. And it's always nice to have that sense of escape and control in your life. And I think that is, ultimately the most beneficial thing with gaming and helping with any kind of issue whether it's depression anxiety uh, lack of inclusivity it's the fact that you can have a sense of control in your life whether it's for an hour to a day right like being able to come home decompress and just just own the situation I think that is the most amazing therapeutic thing about gaming itself. And yeah, it's just super, super helpful. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you enjoy this little conversation as we dive into uh, another avenue of how games can be incredibly beneficial towards you and your mental health. Uh, but we will talk to you all next week with more games, more benefits, more art, more everything. But until then, uh, have a great week and bye for now.